welcome to a special edition of the Training Design Podcast with me, Sheridan Webb. And me, Terry Pierce. So I say it's a special episode and we're having two Easter specials because we've been away for a while and we've been away for all sorts of reasons, but we did want to come back together um, to discuss a couple of of important topics that are really, really close to our hearts and share our learning with you. So in our first episode, uh, we're going to be talking to Terry about what he's been up to in the time we've been away, because as we came towards the end of our second season, Terry, I know that you were moving very much into the games-based learning sphere, and I'm sure everybody is dead keen to know, how's that going? Yeah, thanks, Sheridan. And it's going really well, to be honest. Uh, it's been a, a great journey and I'm, I'm really happy to be here to, to share some of it because I think it's given me some great insights into learning design in general. Although it's, uh, it's, it's been a little bit of a, a, a move in a way, a move in a way away from learning design in general and towards this, this, this specialization. I think that's, you know, I think when we last recorded, uh, my, I uh, had uh, 360 uh, learning design as a business and was just kind of starting Untold Players, my games-based focus business. So I've, I've now closed down 360 Learning Design and Untold Play uh, is my business through which I'm offering uh, game-based learning and gamification consultation and uh, products. Um, so it's been a journey really for a kind of transition. Um, but it's been it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of enjoyment. Uh, I've met a lot of great people in the games-based learning community. Uh, that's been one of my big takeaways, I think, is that there's a really uh, supportive, kind, generous community out there. Uh, I'm part of the Gamespace Learning Alliance, which has been really helpful and really supportive. Uh, and the magazine Ludagogi, uh, to name another one, have uh, produced a few articles where they've been really helpful and supportive. So a big thing for me has been, and I know this is a topic close to your heart, Sheridan, about community uh, in, in, in making that move and, and kind of resting uh, or relying on uh, you know the kindness of strangers, I guess, but uh, you know, uh, get, getting getting more and more uh, useful uh, contacts and information and sharing and collaboration. Yeah, it's it's interesting because obviously we we've stayed um, very closely in touch since we recorded our last podcast, and I think in the past, if we go back five, certainly ten years, but maybe as few as five, you know, games based learning was a very very niche geeky thing that um, you had to be very technical and you you had the impression that it was all the Dungeons and Dragons dudes um, and very, very tech savvy people who were engaging in it. But I think, you know, as the workforce now, uh, you know, the majority of the people in their 30s and 40s have grown up with that technology. Now it's just an extension of what people do in everyday life, I guess. So um, certainly through watching your journey, I've noticed um, how much um, you know, games-based stuff we do in our everyday lives. And so it doesn't feel as, as scary and as niche as perhaps it once was. Um, and I just like, I mean, we have talked about this on a separate episode, but I just, can you remind um, everyone as to why games-based learning is so effective and why we should all be aiming to include it in our learning solutions? First thing to say there is that game-based learning is, uh, there's a spectrum, really, as I see it, from games-based learning where you're actually playing a game within a learning context uh, and there are rules and there's what we might call a kind of magic circle around the game, uh, a kind of technical term like seeing games with the magic circle, uh, where we kind of you know forget about real life for a moment, we're playing the game and we're, we're, we're uh, running by the rules of the game 
Um, and then maybe afterwards we discuss it and get uh, and talk about the learning that came out of it. So is that like the typical sort of activities that we would include in a workshop? You know, not just the quick discussions, but we actually we set people up with counters and, and, and tasks to achieve that might take half an hour, 45 minutes. Is, is that what you're talking about there? Potentially, yeah. Well, if I explain the other end of the spectrum, I think that'll help. So, so that's one end of the spectrum, I think, is the game-based learning, games-based learning. And then um, the other is uh, gamification, where actually we're not really playing a game, we're just maybe using some of the trappings or tools or ideas from games to kind of spice up uh, something that we're doing anyway. So perhaps we are uh, having a discussion or uh, perhaps we are completing a you know, a, a form or something that, you know, a worksheet. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but we gamify it in some way by using uh, some little kind of lesson or, or idea from games to make it more motivating or to nudge people into certain behaviours while they do it. Um, so I think there's a whole spectrum there. Um, and yeah, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the things that people do in the classroom, a lot of people think that learning designers design sessions kind of might fall somewhere along that spectrum. Uh, but I, I guess I've, I've really been exploring doing that quite explicitly. And, and you asked the question, uh, you know, why, why is it effective? And I've actually got a kind of model that I've built up uh, of, of some of the reasons that it's effective. And I want to kind of lead in towards that. So I won't put too many, too much of a spoiler on, on that for when we talk about it very shortly. But I think one of the, the big reasons that it's successful is, is the same as the reasons that, that games are successful. You know, games are now the biggest entertainment product bar none bigger than movies yeah um and the, and you know people might say oh not everybody likes games but a lot of people you know even the non-traditional you know image of a gamer mm. um will play candy crush on their phone or will play just a little kind of playful word game or something you know wordle has been such a yeah game. wordle's just gone crazy hasn't it there's lots <laughs> of things about games that really motivate people to do things and to do those things again and again and again and so really games-based learning is about saying well why does that happen and what can we learn from it how can we gain from it and how can we motivate people and for me it's the opposite in many ways of uh you know the sage on the stage someone at the front giving mm. out the information. So I'll talk more when we look at that model about the specific reasons why I think game-based learning can be really, really effective. Uh, but but there's a, a kind of capsule, if you like. Yeah, and I, I guess as well, it's, um, over the last couple of years, obviously everyone has learned to um, use different technologies in their learning and development. We've learned to approach it a lot more creatively and I know I don't want to go into a whole new topic because this could be a podcast episode in itself, is that we are having to create more spaced learning journeys now. And so keeping people engaged between events, I guess, is a an element where uh, games-based learning and gamification can really come into its own. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, and, you know, I'm exploring lots of different places where uh, it can come into its own. But I think uh, the fact that... So much training is happening online and so much of it is happening via Zoom uh, or people are kind of self-led using apps. Uh, yeah. It's really opening the door to a lot of these principles, definitely. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about what specifically you've been up to and, you know, what drew you to that and, you know, what sort of response has been getting? Sure. So a big thing for me uh, with Untold Play in particular and with the direction that I want to take 
is to offer products, uh, also services, uh, coaching, ongoing-based learning, and uh, you know, facilitating and, and uh, making game-based learning experiences happen. Uh, but the product bit is quite new for me, and that's been really interesting because I like the idea of giving somebody something that they can take and run with themselves mm. rather than me be the person who's actually there facilitating or overseeing things. And so I launched my first big product, the Transform Deck, which I have a copy and use it. I've used it three or four times now. Yeah, and it's been really well received. I've been really happy with the reception. Uh, I'll just briefly explain what it is. So it's, it's a deck of cards, a physical deck of cards, uh, relatively large, A6 kind of size. And each one is a category of uh, ways to take learning content and transform it into some more engaging and more interactive and to an extent, more game space is not actually a deck of how to gamify your experience specifically. Some of the things in there wouldn't have to be kind of gamification, but a lot of them, they have an overlap. There's a lot of overlap with mm. uh, some of those principles. And it certainly makes, if, if you take the ideas from the deck, apply it to learning content and inspire yourself to create an activity or an experience that's more engaging, more interactive, uh, then, you know, you're definitely a lot closer to games-based learning, gamification-led principles, whichever of the cards you're using. Uh, and a lot of them will definitely lead you straight into gamification, games-based learning. Also, the way that the cards are used, um, you can use them in a very kind of playful, gameful kind of way. You can even play mm -hmm. a game with the cards as a way to inspire yourself as a learning designer. Yeah. And, and the thing, I, I took to them immediately because for years and years, I've been a, a big fan of using accelerated learning techniques and so some of the cards and some of the techniques were very familiar to me because obviously they come from from that um side of things but there were also some new ones in there and it was a great way for me to you know after all these years of designing training and helping others just to refresh things as you say a little bit it's uh because it's very difficult particularly when you're up against a tight deadline um or your topic let's let's be honest sometimes can be a little bit dull um how do we actually bring it to life in a meaningful way rather than introducing something that's a bit gimmicky perhaps and, and trying to shoehorn things in. So I, I find them, I'm very, very quick as well. So they don't take up loads of time. They really do shortcut your design process. Excellent. No, that's really good to hear, Sheridan. And yeah, I have found that uh, they've, they've been received really well in two different ways. One is, as, as you say, by experienced designers who perhaps just want that memory jog or something to help speed things up. Um, and in a way, that's how they kind of helped me and how I designed them in the first place, because all of the individual types of activity in there I'd used and was familiar with. But even the process of uh, creating, first of all, the spreadsheet, which they grew out of, and then mm. the cards themselves was really, really helpful to me. Uh, in, in just, you know, I, I mean, one of the reasons that I created it was that I found myself sometimes stumbling across an old activity that I've designed and saying, oh, that was a really good one. Why did I forget that one? Why am I yeah. not adapting and reusing that where appropriate? Um, so this is a way to kind of keep things at your fingertips. So I've definitely found that it's something that experienced designers have appreciated from that point of view, but also that newer learning designers have really appreciated the inspiration of uh, exploring different new ways that perhaps they haven't encountered before to bring their learning content to life uh, so that's been really gratifying as well i think the other nice thing as well is that um, it provides a common language because certainly what i've found when i do work with other people is it 
we call different types of activities different things in our mind um, so it is nice to say ah oh, that's what you're talking about and there's that clear definition so it can save a lot of confusion mm. and so that's you know been a, and it's also been a great experience for me to put together a product and uh, a physical product and then go through the whole process of getting that produced and sending it out and you know seeing how that whole flow works and now that i've got a flow for that uh, I plan a number of other products to kind of follow up behind that one. Uh, the decks of cards idea has really inspired me, in fact, uh, because I loved how people found different ways to use it themselves. Yeah. So I've got a few ideas for uh, different decks of cards that I might produce. But also, obviously, as we've said, uh, the digital uh, element of things is, is, you know, huge now. So uh, I'm looking at things there. Uh, and as you know, Sheridan, I, I recently created a digital uh, escape room, I know. Uh, which I facilitated at, at an event for the trainer talk community that we're both part of and uh, looking to do something around that with uh, an escape room that can be offered to businesses, to organizations, where instead of it just being kind of a fun team building thing, in fact, uh, it's themed around that organization's business, yeah. their work, their discipline. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, I think, that it, to the user, to the person playing the game, it comes across as being relatively simple and straightforward. But I know that it took you days um, to do that. And I would be, I don't know, forgive me, I, you don't know this question's coming, but I would like to just say, you know, what are the biggest differences between designing a game, like or, or your card deck or something like that, and designing a learning event? And I'm guessing that the design process at a very top level is the same thing but what what are the, the biggest differences i'd say that the single biggest difference and the thing that take, took the extra time in particular here uh is play testing yeah and i think that the, the 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 big thing that you're doing as a learning designer when you put games-based learning interaction is you are letting go of some of your control, particularly if you're at that end of things. If you're just gamifying a process and that process is relatively tight and has few options within it, then you're not necessarily giving up too much control. Mm -hmm. But if you are saying, okay, here's a space, the game space that I've created, and you can do kind of whatever you like in it, which is where games are at their most powerful, in fact, um, then you're giving up a lot of control. You're saying, you know, there's so many different things that the, the players could do. I don't know what they are, but I've got to make sure that whatever they do, they don't break the game or mm. have a bad experience. Uh, so, you know, there's so much kind of thinking through the different things they could do and taking steps to make sure that the options that are available to them aren't ones that will break the game, you know. So, I mean, a really easy example is if there's one... Kind of, if there's a range of strategies, but one of them is absolutely dominant, for instance, and mm -hmm. you know if players happen to choose that strategy, uh, then anyone who didn't choose that strategy will have a bad experience and will realise early on that they're not going to kind of win if it's a competitive game. Uh, so that would be you know something about game balance that you need to think about, maybe play test, see how it works, and if you observe anything like that happening, to actually. Um, to actually put some, something in place to redress it. Um, mm. Another example would be, so for the escape room, this is, is big, you know, at, at the level of difficulty. So, you know, escape room consisting of a, a number of puzzles, which I also had to try and balance all kinds of different things about those puzzles in themselves, not just being puzzled for the sake of it, but getting a message 
across uh in this case a message about games-based learning mm. uh but this is the kind of principle that i want to apply when i do this for businesses you know it'd be getting a message across about their business or about what they do um so I had to balance all those things whilst still making sure that the puzzle was the right level of difficulty you know if it's too easy it gets boring yes too tough people get dispirited so play testing is huge in that you know trying to get people to go through it seeing how they handle it seeing if they do unexpected things and then a kind of just an iterative process of adjusting things and adjusting things until as far as you can tell they're just right yeah i mean that, i think that's yeah that's one of the biggest differences isn't it because we do talk about the importance of piloting events in, in normal training design but it's nothing like the extent that you need to do it with a game i mean quite often just a detailed talk through um with someone else uh, will suffice um but i uh, uh you know as a an avid escape rumor and having a hundred percent escape record haha um it what i liked about your online version is for someone like me who is used to solving those sorts of problems although to be fair it's mostly my husband and my daughter that do they just get it like that um that there was something in there that I thought, aha, aha, there's a little trick there that other people weren't necessarily spot. So there was that element for me. And then some of them, as you say, were much more straightforward. So the people who don't engage in that sort of activity didn't get disheartened, I suppose. So uh, I see what you're saying about getting the level right. Yeah. And incidentally, I think that's another thing, though, where, you know, once you start to look at the, the, uh, literature that's out there and the communities that are out there that are happy to share their experience you get all kinds of insights so it wasn't just me sitting there thinking okay so i'm going to create an escape room how do i do it once i started to look around at the resources and communities that are available and this is something i'm, I'm planning to do a video on actually for anyone else mm -hmm. who might want to uh, create escape rooms uh, so watch this space on my uh, youtube channel um but uh, there's just lots and lots of communities are out there of this is what works this is what kind of doesn't you know the, uh, the difference between different kinds of things that you might set people so puzzles versus tasks and just all these different things recommendations inspiration um so you know you can definitely get a lot out there once you start to, to dig into it and that, that's been a big part of my journey on, on the last couple of years as well as the community side just reading more and more uh game-based learning literature really and you do love to read i do <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's absolutely right. And it's, you know, something that we'll talk about in in, uh, in a different episode is that how generous people are. And it's just been um, quite a revelation how many people are willing to share their own learning to benefit that of others. And it's amazing when you find those communities. Yeah. By the way, I must mention in that context, uh, both Training Talker, who we've already mentioned, and your uh, Training Designers Club, uh, for being really generous with their time as play testers, as yeah, who try, tried my stuff out, giving me feedback, and that's been really, really valuable. Yeah, it's um, um, you know they're nosy; they they love to um, see what's going on. So, uh, yeah, I know that you have come in uh, quite a few times, and people have been very happy to to get involved. So when we did do the escape room, and I didn't get involved in the play testing because I wanted to experience it, um, you know, pr properly at the end. Um, I know there were quite a few elements that you were um, helping us to learn about. So without making people go through that escape room, Terry, can you just explain what they were? Because I think they were the foundations of game-based learning. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was kind of referring to earlier, actually, when I gave my mini answer about the effectiveness of game-based learning. And yeah, it was it was 
kind of strange to to think about because it was a kind of meta experience. I was you know creating a piece of game based learning and experience, but it was also trying to help people learn about game based learning and about yeah. what it does well and why it's effective. And the whole puzzle, really, the whole the whole escape room was themed about uh, a number of puzzles, each one relating to a real life game, which helped people to learn, but also illustrating a principle. And these principles were uh, around what it is that game based learning does that makes it effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just maybe talk through each of those briefly, because uh, there's uh, kind of six of them in particular. Uh, so. Uh, the first of those is game-based learning works well because it puts the learner at the center. Yeah. And I think that's it's first for a reason. You know, it's absolutely huge the difference between being at the outside and having to just take notes of what is happening, what you're seeing, what you're hearing, and being at the center and actually things are happening to you. You're the protagonist. Yeah. Uh, if there's a story or you're the action taker, if there are choices, uh, you know, you are at the very center. And that's what we did in the escape room and uh, mm. that's what uh, a lot of the games that we used as examples you know little, little mini case study type things in the escape room uh, uh you know what they do uh, i'll just give one example though so uh, there's a, a learning game which i uh i'm a licensed facilitator i want to facilitate get sessions of called uh, evive which is uh, a, a digital game player on your browser or on your phone uh, in teams and uh, helps you learn all kinds of things about teamwork and uh, communication and problem solving. But uh, it's, you know, you are making choices about how to save the world in this case through uh, which kind of resources you mine and which kind of resources you trade uh, and, you know, making choices which you have to negotiate with the rest of your team about and, you know, decide what's the best way forward. And because you're in the center of things, uh, you know, it's a really vivid experience. We get great feedback on that, and people do tend to learn a lot about these topics. Yeah, I guess it's um, you know, your your, your decisions have consequences, and be like you say, because in a more traditional um, training, it's the, the learning is more is is more passive. Um, even though obviously we are both big advocates of, of actively engaging people in learning, but it is still facilitator led, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think, again, there's that kind of spectrum, there's gradations, shades of grey, uh, but it, but often if it is facilitator-led, you will find yourself putting more and more in there and, and, and be, being passive some of the time. Again, it depends mm. on exactly how it's designed, but game-based learning does, yeah, put learners at the centre. So that's the first principle. Uh, the second one is uh, it tends to work because it tends to set an open challenge. Uh, so it says, you know, it says, here's your goal. You have yeah. a goal and or maybe you can choose your own goal, but there is a goal. And then it's up to you how you reach that goal. So you don't mm. just have to, you know, find the one absolute solution. I mean, sometimes there is a best solution, in certain types of games, but often in the best game based learning, you know, there are multiple ways to achieve the goal. And it's really down to you to use your resources and tools that are at your disposal to find a way. And that yeah. really unlocks people's creativity and motivation uh, because, you know, you're putting their uh, their creativity and their ability and their problem solving uh, front and centre. And that reflects real life, doesn't it, as well? So we, we have a problem to solve and we all approach it differently. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, games reflect in real life is also, I think, at the core of all of this. All of these really are about how we learn in real life. We learn in real life, not generally by listening to a nice, neat 
lesson or principle that somebody gives us, which we then say, ah, yes, that's good. I'll go and do that. Mm. We generally learn by trying stuff out, working things out for ourselves. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, setting an open challenge. And, you know, uh, I think that's that's an easy one actually. If you if you are somebody who's looking for a way into game, basically, I think that's an easy one to start with in learning design because you can kind of set any challenge around the topic area that you're talking about mm. within, you know, it's just a normal kind of training session, if you like, or the kind of learning experience, and just give people resources and tools. You know, set an open challenge of how would you get a good result in this scenario? How would you negotiate this deal? Mm. Or how would you uh, calm this person down or just any kind of scenario um, and not have a right answer but have lots of resources and tools whether those are models or toolkits or ideas or physical resources um, and you know it's up to them how they explore and choose and combine those resources and tools or, or make their own yeah. yeah I did so I did that um, in one of the management development programs that I designed um, one of the modules we we wanted to cover conflict, you know, how to resolve conflict. And I did all my research and I did, and I couldn't find anything that really fitted the, the the sort of situations that the participants would find themselves in. None of the models really worked. So as and it was um, each workshop had quite a chunky piece of um, ind independent learning associated with it. So. As part of the independent learning, I did signpost some YouTube videos and some articles and said, go and research your own as well. So they all came with you know, having some knowledge about conflict management. And then it was quite scary for me um, as a facilitator. I gave them um, an hour and a half to come up with a conflict resolution model that was relevant for their business. And then each group had to present it. And when they voted on them, um, and, and they loved it. They absolutely loved it. They were so creative how they came up with it. And it was much more meaningful for them um, because, you know, it was it was a mishmash of all the different things they learned. It was relevant for their business. Um, but as you said earlier, uh, that I lost control and I didn't know where it was going to go. So I had to have something so I could claw it back if it all went horribly wrong. Thankfully it didn't. But, but yeah, they did love that. Excellent. No, and it does sound very meaningful. Yeah, excellent. Good example. So set an open challenge. That's the second of these principles. Uh, the third of them is to let them explore. And, you know, again, if you think about actual games, some of the, the most engaging games and the games people go back to again and again and, and talk about, uh, particularly computer games in this case, but, but all kinds of games, um, are ones where there's a whole kind of landscape, whole world mm. to explore. Uh, and, you know, there's not just one path, which is the path to the, to the big boss or the main kind yeah. of prize there's just lots of different things and kind of side quests and all kinds of ideas now i'm not saying you have to for a classroom session design that kind of level of things um but you know those principles again i think can help so you know if you're designing something that has just one way through one set of okay do a then b then c then d think about whether they could actually do those in any order they liked or whether mm. you could uh, you know have alternative branches that they could explore that had value uh, in a learning term or in engagement term. Um, I think, you know, the, the big example in a learning context that really inspired me and which I included as an example in the escape room was uh, a Minecraft-based... Um, I was thinking Minecraft, yeah. Called we Are the Rangers. And I just found it so inspiring. I wish that they had 
things like this when I was at school because they've just created in Minecraft uh, a um, a game reserve essentially, and yeah. uh, just the children players can uh, just range over and explore yeah. it and check it all out. Check out the ranger's hurts. Check out the places where the animals live. Check out uh, you know where the poachers are making incursions into the into the wildlife preserve and so on and so forth. So you've got these uh, you know this, this huge landscape which they explore, and then within that they can have missions to try and. Explore to try and answer a question, you know, why are the poachers getting in or what can we do to conserve the rhinos or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But my, my, my kids were younger. They absolutely went mad for Minecraft. Absolutely loved it. Um, and like I say, it's not a traditional game in that you don't score it or anything like that as far as I can tell, but they spent hours playing Minecraft. Yeah. I think that's a really important principle, actually. I think we need to make sure that when we start to think about game-based learning, we don't uh, anchor on our own assumptions about games are that they have to have score, mm. that they have to be competitive, that they have to be digital, that they have to do anything at all. You know, there's so many different kinds. Um, so again, that's why I think I, I started to develop these principles um, to kind of talk about, actually it's not what you think of as a game, having a board, having dice, none of mm. those things are necessary. Uh, what is necessary is that it does some of these things, particularly in a learning context. Yeah, I'm just thinking back to all the things about being able to choose your own direction. And again, this isn't always easy to do when you're running a more traditional based learning, particularly if you've been commissioned and you have certain objectives to achieve. But um, a small way around it is something I do in the Power Hour Ready Written Training materials is you say, well, this is the core session, but hey, we also have all these other things that we can do. So which ones do you want to do? You know, where should we go next? So you know, it is still all boxed in, in a way, but it's also got some um, learner control. So, yes, your core session is going to be the same for every group that goes through it, but the, the optional bits may be different. Definitely. So I think that's a, a very simple way, I think. And yeah. again, I've involved gamification and not even known it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's really important, though, as well, to, uh, to, to talk about those really simple ways, because, again, you don't have to, you know, commission, you don't have to have the resources that, you know, people who design huge Minecraft scenarios mm. or, or AAA um, video games, you can implement some of these things in your process. You know, if you're an e-learning designer, uh, instead of doing a linear kind of progression, maybe you can say, well, actually, which of these areas do you want to explore first? Yeah. And make it a little bit more uh, lateral, a little bit more flexible. Yeah. So let them explore is the third one. Uh, the fourth one was let them fail. And I think this is huge. This is a great part of what makes games effective that we probably, outside of game-based learning and learning experiences and learning design, don't do enough of um, because people learn from failure, you know? If mm-hmm. you, and it's obvious in a game. You know, if you had a game where the very first time you tried it, you got everything right, that would be a terrible game, yeah. an awful game. Um, you know, people expect when they play a game to not get it right first time, to have challenges which they fail at and then they regroup and they think and okay how could I do that differently yeah and they try it again and then you know eventually they triumph and uh you know the, I think there are games that do that really well in a learning context and I, again gave one of them as, as an example used it as, as a kind of little mirror in the escape room which was a, a, a physical learning game called culturally um culturally with an e on the end for some reason um, which is uh, just just very briefly because I think it's a, it's a great example of how failure can be really key to something. You get a bunch of people at a uh, table 
and uh, they have uh, some dice with various symbols on and they get a rule set uh, which tells them that when the dice come up a certain way they have to do a certain action like put their hand on their forehead or something like this and uh, if they, the people who do it quickest gain chips and the people who do it slowest lose chips and then so you've got this happening at table a and table b and table c uh, around the room and you then take away the uh, rule uh, guides so that people yeah. have to remember what action was was uh, was, was happening uh, at each throw of the dice, um, and you tell people they're not allowed to speak. Mm -hmm. um, so they're carrying on like this for a while, earning chips if they do the actions correctly and quickly, and losing chips if they don't. And then you move somebody from table A to table B, and somebody else from table B to table C, and so on. So there's a new yeah. person at every table, and what they don't know is that at this table the rules for which dice face result in which action are different. And yeah. so I think, you know, so there's this moment uh, where the person who's just moved to the table, you know, the, the dice face with a, with an X on it comes up or whatever, and they put their hand on their forehead and everyone else puts their hands on their shoulders. And they're like, what? Yeah. What's going on here? <laughs> uh, and then everyone else at the table is miming because they can't speak. Mm. You just lost, give me your chips. Um, and they're, they're, they're really confused and, and they failed, you know. Um, yeah. But the reason that they have failed is because they've moved to a different culture, effectively. And a lot of this can come out in the debrief afterwards as well, because um, there's a lot of lessons there about culture and about the difficulties moving from one culture to another. But if you just tell people about why it's difficult to move from one culture to another, they won't learn as much as if they try it themselves and see yeah. that you know, they actually they fail in the tasks that were given because of how difficult it was. That sounds so powerful. I'm, I'm glad you described it in detail. I see loads of people scurrying away and incorporating that into their sessions I now. I don't know if <laughs> in the company that does that, by the way. I just read that again. Um, so, yeah, let them fail. Uh, and, you know, have feedback on that failure, I think, is important as well. So, and that's, again, what happens again. You try things out. It doesn't work perfectly, but you get feedback and then you work that into your next try. Yeah. And it, it just makes it memorable as well, doesn't it? When, like, say, forget everything right first time, you don't really think about why you got it right. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you reflect. So you can't replicate it. it. Well, you probably can, but you, you don't know why. You, you just can't necessarily replicate it to a, a different scenario as easily. Definitely. I'll just say a word about that that word itself as well, failure, because I do think that there's a certain trainer mindset, which you know, I, I subscribe to to myself sometimes, uh, where... We don't really want to use words like failure. You know, we, we think that there's a quote, isn't there? There's, there is no failure, only feedback or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. And I think that that is valid. And sometimes you do want to frame activities and learning in that context. Um, so whether or not you use the word failure with your mm -hmm. learners and, and as part of the explicitly part of the exercise, it depends on, on what you're doing. But I think in your own mind, it's useful to, to frame it that way because, you know, it absolutely is. We fail in life sometimes. If we fail in the game sometimes, then it mirrors real life as yeah. long as that failure isn't final and, you know, irredeemable. And that's the point. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, like, I guess as well, so it's not not always you failing and everyone else is succeeding because then you start to get demoralised, don't you? Whereas if you see it, you know, it happens to everyone and, you know, like you say, it's uh, one failure, but then the next time you succeed and it's, it's um, it all adds to the excitement, I suppose. Definitely. Definitely. so that's principle number four um, number five is give them meaningful choices so uh, 
I mean, choices are great in the first place, not just going A to B to C, but those choices being meaningful, uh, I think is really important. And it's one of the, again, one of the reasons that game-based learning can be really effective because uh, when they make choices, those choices have impact. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that can link quite closely to success and failure, but it doesn't just have to be about success and failure. It can just be that, you know, it changes their path through the game. It's not just, oh, you know, you've got a red thing or you've got a purple thing. Um, it fundamentally changes the journey that they have because they chose to, uh, you know, I don't know, to negotiate in this scenario rather than to uh, to try and trick somebody in the scenario or whatever. Yeah. It might be. Yeah. yeah. Um, so meaningful choices, and I think again, this is one where I think uh, people who are looking for a bit of an easy way in can, can find a way in because the the kind of branching scenario, you know, what I call because of my uh you know my childhood pursuits uh the choose your own adventure scenario oh yeah adventure books but you know even if that's not a, a kind of context that's familiar to you you know just this idea of a branching scenario where actually your actions do take you down different routes through it to different endings is something that actually isn't that difficult to do i used to do a version of that in the classroom with paper where i would just say okay you chose option a so i'm going to give you sheet 2a yeah. Uh, okay, each option option B, so I'm going to give you sheet two B. Yeah, and work from there. It's a bit kind of uh, cumbersome in terms of I had this big massive table with all these sheets, <laughs> kind of ferry them back and forth to people's desks. But obviously these days there are a lot of uh, software uh, and apps and so on that that can kind of help make that a little bit easier. Yeah, I guess I mean there are activities where you can do that. Um, I'm just thinking, and I'm thinking of Taskmaster as well where if you've got things to achieve, so you, you could either, and, and you've got a set time to do it, so you could you could either do nothing for the first five minutes but talk about it, or you can get stuck straight in. So either, even a simple choice like that. Um, so, you know, and we can link that to things like planning. So, you know, if you took the time to plan and really understand the challenge before you got stuck in, or if you thought, no, we just want to get started, how did that affect your outcome? So yeah, we can use it incorporate it in very um simple ways as you say definitely and yeah you've made a key link there i think to the debrief as well because when you are debriefing a game um and you're debriefing something based on their choices then it's really real to them you know if you Mm. say well when people in general choose to do x or when people in general choose to do y there's just not that same connection yeah good uh so meaningful choices number five and then number six uh games or this is where you know acknowledging the gamification angle a little bit actually uh games or gamification work well when they give people a nudge uh, give players give users a nudge and what i mean by that is a lot of gamification uh and you know that that end of the spectrum um is a lot more subtle so we're not putting people in a game we're not saying mm-hmm. here are the rules we're not saying here is the point system we're just saying uh there's something about what you're doing that, that we're just kind of nudging you towards one action or another um, and it's not really a game as such and, and the example I'll give here and again I'll draw on ones that I used in the escape room is the multiplayer classroom which is a great book by Lee Sheldon and it's also it's, it's a system that he as a college professor put in place to uh, as a framework around uh, the college work for his students so that actually instead of uh, his students getting an A if they got a perfect assignment, a perfect test, and then knocking bits off for each mm. imperfection. Um, he said, okay, you start off at an F, start off with zero points, but you can work your way up to an A through the uh, through the course of the of the course. 
uh, by earning points for doing good work. So each time there's an opportunity to do something, you know, they could earn points. And if they did constantly worked well through the, through the time period, then they would earn the A. So mm. it's just a slightly different way to put things using some of the Champions games, so score levels, but they're still effectively doing schoolwork. They're not playing, you know, a separate game or mm. game within the schoolwork. Um, but they are being nudged to nudged away from uh, a mindset of, oh, I've got to cram for the test. I've got to, uh, you know, just turn in perfect assignments and nudged towards doing things all the time, all through the course, mm -hmm. instead of saying, will this be on the test? Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, schools do try and, and use that, don't they? It's unfortunately, it is very exam focused at the moment. But mm. for example, my son is um, going to the prom. So they have to have their prom points in order to be able to go. So a lot of that is to do with achieving your, your targets. So, you know, if you're, if you're not academic then you, and your targets are grade five, you know, are you achieving your targets? And you, you get the same number of points as someone whose target is an eight because you're hitting your targets. But obviously a lot of them are, you know, to do with absence, they're to do with behaviour. Um, they, you know, they may even include extracurricular activities on there. So just to say, hey, it's not all about studying, you know, have you played a sport this week? So it is just to remind them, I think, that it's it's about the whole um it's about the whole education, not just um, not just what they actually turn out, and it's to, it's linked to their behaviour. So if you do all of these things, if you are basically what we term to be a good student, um, even if you're not brilliant academically, you know, it doesn't matter, you you will be invited to the prom. So mm. I guess that's similar. I mean, there's some interesting things there. I, I, I would be quite careful about something that could end up in this situation of being quite punitive. Mm. Um, I tend to focus more on rewards than on punishments. You know, if it ends up with someone sitting at home when all their friends are at the prom, yeah. that's a difficult one. But I, Luckily, from what my son tells me, there are a, quite a number of teachers who will, because um, I know this is another factor of gamification that you talked to me about before, it's that sort of that random reward. So I know there are some teachers who will notice pupils like that and go, oh, I'm just going to give you an extra 10 points because <laughs> the way you presented your work was great. So undercuts a lot of the rest of it. But I, yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things, it's the principle. Um, you can see that they're, they're trying to do with the principle of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So those are the six, really. Uh, put the learner at centre, set an open challenge, let them explore, let them fail, give them meaningful choices. Um, and where appropriate, give them a nudge towards the behaviour you want to see. Uh, I'd toy with the idea of hanging a seventh one, which was uh, which was games work well because they're fun. But I didn't want to actually include that in the end as an extra mm. principle in this kind of framework that I've developed, um, because I think it kind of emerges to some extent from the others. Yeah. And I think sometimes we focus too much on the fun element of game-based learning and, and say, oh, games are fun and that's why we use them. Uh, and in fact, there are lots of different kinds of fun and some games yeah. are actually quite serious and they don't really look like fun as in ooh, jumping about, smiling, you know, lots of colours. You know, they're exercising our brain in a more strategic way or yeah. you know, we're, we're enjoying them perhaps sometimes in a quite serious way. So I think there are, uh, the, the word I use instead of fun is more about engagement. I, I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> I think they engage because of those six things. I don't think we need to try and, it's very hard to sprinkle engagement on it as a, as a principle of its own, but they're engaging because they're those six mm. things. 
It's like working through your differential equations. I mean, they're, they're not fun, um, but there is an enormous sense of satisfaction when when you reach, you know, when you reach the solution. Yeah, absolutely. So, that's obviously not a game, it's a puzzle, but it's, yeah, uh, even as someone who did enjoy maths at school, um, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it all the time, <laughs> but I always, always got that sense of satisfaction when I got there. <laughs> So, excellent. So, is there, um, we are coming towards the end of the time. We're going to talk very briefly about something else, but um, is there anything specific that you would um, advise others who want to um, take a more games-based approach in their training design, not necessarily design a game and go, you know, the route that you have gone, but just to incorporate it into more traditional learning science? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing I'd say is uh, if you start to, you know, read uh the right things follow the right people uh and, and immerse yourself in some of these the conversations that are happening then you can get all kinds of ideas about uh ways to do that uh, i mean i'd strongly recommend um the octalysis group yukai chow and his uh his blog but also his book yukai chow's uh actionable gamification is just a great way to kind of start to understand a bit about the uh, about the area um, certainly people can sign up to my mailing list and I try and make it really practical and helpful and inspirational uh, for people who are wanting to include a bit more of this kind of thing in their learning. Um, and you've got a YouTube channel as well, am I right in thinking? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Uh, so I'll put a lot of this and we'll make sure this goes in the show notes as well, some links to this stuff. Um, and just, gen and Ludagogi magazine is a good Yeah, one. yeah, it's a good one that, isn't it? Um, so there's, there's just lots of, uh, of this discussion out there and you can immerse yourself in it and get a lot of inspiration. But what I would say as, as a kind of takeaway for now is uh, that, that I think you can take any game and use it in learning in one of three ways. Um, and one of those is the more difficult way, which is to use the principles of that game to uh, design your own. So to, to look at it and say, oh, you know, maybe I can learn a lesson about how games work from that and then I can design that game. That's, that's the difficult way and that takes a lot of effort and probably a lot of learning about games-based learning but there are two much simpler ways uh, as well which is i think you can just use the existing game right there within your session if it's the right game um, you know there are games mm. which are relevant to the kind of things you're talking about there you know and um, things like for instance uh, there's, there's, there's that kind of uh, often used game the red blue game that trainers yeah. use for oh negotiation. we love that one it's a great game and you know it's people use it for negotiation skills but it, it's kind of just a game, you know, and it yeah. speaks to us about negotiation skills. And there are a lot of off-the-shelf games or um, even computer games which people can play uh, and which teach great things about problem solving, about communication, about teamwork. Mm. Um, so you can just find the right game uh, and get people to play it in the session and then talk about what it teaches us for learning. So that's one way that people can definitely do it. And, and again, on my YouTube channel and on my newsletter, I talk about some ideas of particular games to perhaps do that with. Mm. Um, or the other one is to adapt an existing game. So, so three ways, you know, use the principle to design your own, yeah. use an existing one and then build a kind of debrief or whatever around it. And third one, to adapt an existing game slightly so that it more fits in with your you, you and what you're doing. Um, and I'll just give one quick example of that. So there's a, a really quite popular game uh code names which is kind of boring. yes I, we know code games we've got that um and uh without going into too much depth about it, it involves kind of uh 
guessing which words uh, from a from a, a, a layout of cards, layout of cards, each with a word on, and people have to guess uh, which word you're trying to make them guess by the clue you gave them. Yeah. Um, now the get the cards in the game itself are just kind of everyday words, and you know it's all about trying to give a clue uh, that will clue people into particular cards. Uh, but on the online version, which is a great implementation of it online. Um, you can uh, change the words on the cards and you can make them into any word you like. Um, so what that means is you can change them into words that are relevant to your topic, to your subject. Yeah. And it can be a really, really fun way to revise or review a topic because rather than just getting people to go over things in a kind of dull and gray way, which revision and review often is, uh, you're getting people to play a game where they have to, in a really creative way, take uh, the learning, take the principles, take the terminology, and you know, give clues based on it or guess clues based on it. That's really activating parts of their brain that are going to make them a enjoy it and be more engaged, but then b retain more. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know they did an online version. That's good to know. Yeah. Again, I'll get it in the show notes. Yeah. Good. So yeah, three ways to use game based games uh, and, and game based learning. Uh, you know, use the principles to design your own, but also use existing ones and debrief and frame them well, or adapt existing ones to suit. And you know what? It's so much fun to create a new game. I mean, we had um, a discussion in the Change Designers Club and we actually just created our own activity. It took us 10 minutes um, and we were buzzing at the end of it. And so it's not only is it enjoyable to do, but it's also a very, I said, not an easy way. It's a, it's a simple way, I suppose, um, to refresh um, a training session that you feel maybe needs a little bit of updating. So the content's still good, but maybe we want to just you know, look at it in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Good. So, so well, you've been a very busy man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, you know, I haven't even uh, told, told you all of it. I've, I've been speaking <laughs> at some conferences and I've, you know, uh, I've been involved in some kind of really interesting uh, bits of work, uh, including designing something for, for kind of town planning that involves playing a game with people that are helping to, to make decisions for town planning. But we don't have time to go into all of that. But if the people do want to know more about what I'm doing, then please do sign up to the newsletter and, and uh, I'll keep you up to date. Yeah. So it's Untold Play is your new business. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Terry. Really interesting. So... That's what I've been doing. And our next episode is going to be more about what you've been doing and some of the principles uh, that you've gotten from that. But in terms of how we do these episodes, we tend to have a little mini topic at the end. So I think you've got something you want to talk about for, for a short while now. I think we need to keep it brief, to be honest, because we've had quite a long chat um, about um, about what you've been up to. But yeah, the, it's something that um, I'm, a, I'm a great sort of... Um, I gather um, just feelings, I suppose, um, and I notice um, common themes that are being discussed by learning designers. And um, one that's been coming up recently for quite a few weeks in various formats is um, I didn't know it had a name, um, but apparently it's the curse of knowledge. Um, and when I started to look into it, I thought, I have seen this come up so many times with training designers. Um, because, uh, you know, as well as when we work with people in our group sessions, but also when I work with people one to one, a lot of the 
common problems that come up well, is twofold. One is um, freelance trainers who work as associates who get given 350 slides to run a one day course and nothing else. So that happens a scarily uh, too, far too many times. And the other reason that people often ask me to work with them is they're real specialists in their subject. So they've got this great course, um, but they have two days worth of material and they've been told to run it in two hours. And they, they cannot see how to cut it down because as far as they're concerned, it's all relevant and it's all necessary. Um, and when you're passionate about a subject, you know, we know how difficult that is. So thinking about these things, I stumbled across this, this idea of the curse of knowledge. And we actually ran a lunch and learn session on this um, recently in the Training Designers Club. And I've got a quote here just to explain what it is. It's by Chip and Dan Heath. It says, lots of us have ex expertise in particular areas. Becoming an expert in something means we become more and more fascinated by nuance and complexity. That's when the curse of knowledge kicks in and we start to forget what it's like not to know what we know. Yeah, that's a great quote. Yeah, and it, it, you know, I, I've always said I'm a bit of an L&D generalist, but I think the curse of knowledge can hit training designers in particular, precisely as those reasons I was saying, they find it difficult, I think, to pick out um, exactly what's relevant and what people need to do. Um, in their two-hour session and because trainers are generous people as well aren't they 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 really want to give people the best service they can and they're passionate about their subject and they want to make a difference so they feel that in order to do that they have to get people up to the same level of knowledge and competence and skill that they have but we do need to think about that actually it's just not possible in two hours so one of the things we talked about was, so what can you do in that time? One of the things I, I really, when I work with people one-to-one -one and help them strip it down is obviously a, a good design principle, as you know, is, is know your audience. So well, where are they now? Where do they need to be? Do they really need to be the expert that you are? Chances are they probably don't. Um, it happens with subject matter experts as well. A lot of businesses bring in their subject matter experts. It happened to our husband. Um, so we had to go on a safeguarding course. So we got the safeguarding expert and he was talking about, you know, the legal ramifications and how the laws came about. He doesn't need to know that background. He needs to know what are the things I need to look out for um, and what do I do when I spot them? So there's all sorts of things I think people can do, um, as well as obviously be aware that they have this cognitive bias, that they have this curse of knowledge. Um, you know, one of the things is to take the temperature and really pitch it to their audience. And um, this links into your storytelling, I think. It's just what's the next chapter? What's the next step? Let's not try and give people the whole journey in one go. Let's just take them to the next level. What, and thinking about what do they need to do rather than what they need to know. So let us be led by, by that sort of thing. And then the other thing is, is, well, as you alluded to there in your example, is the language that we use. Um, and you see it a lot in um, subject matter experts internally. They will come out with all sorts of jargon that's dead obvious to them because they work with it all day, every day. But it just goes straight over the head of other people and, um, yeah, and you lose them. Um, and I, I attended a technical course because I've had to learn quite a lot of technology recently. 
And I struggled for three weeks just because of the terminology. Once I got the terminology in my head, I was like, oh, I get it now. But it created a massive stumbling block. So I just think there's lots of things that as learning designers, and, and you know, I don't, we are short on time, so I don't want to go off on one, but I do get a bit frustrated with learning professionals who think that everybody knows what we know about learning and about psychology and about all of that sort of stuff, because they don't. And not only do they not know, they probably don't even care. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it is remembering really what we do. We don't do it for our benefit. We do it for the benefit of, of the learners. So let's start where they are. Let's go where they need to go in the simplest, um, most straightforward way possible. Here ended the lecture. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, there's a lecture as well. I think that's, that's a, a salient uh, little capsule to take away. <laughs> Good. Um, but yeah, that's been a great discussion. I think it's been a very worthy uh, return for us. Um, I think we just need to round off, don't we, by saying that so this is the first of two uh, Easter specials. So we're going to be back uh, for a second one uh, where Sheridan's going to talk more about what you're going to talk more about what you've been doing yeah, uh, and about uh, community and community building and, and learning around that, I think. Yeah. Um, and then after that, we will be back after those two in a bit of a different format with uh, Sheridan taking uh, the lead role. Uh, but we'll talk maybe more about that at the end of the second one. Sure. Um, but... This has been really good. If you, for us, I hope it's been good for you as the audience. <laughs> if uh, you're interested in anything we've been talking about, uh, take a look at the show notes if you want some of the links. Uh, get in touch, definitely. Tell us what you think, uh, ask questions. Uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch, Sheridan? I would say, well, for me, it's just search for the Training Designers Club. There's a free group on Facebook. There's a website. Um, and of course, you can just search for me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to connect with you. And Terry? Yeah, for me, uh, you can go to my website, untoldplay.com and sign up to the newsletter. Uh, uh, you can check out the Untold Play uh, YouTube uh, channel. Uh, or, yeah, absolutely, feel free to uh, message me by the website and by the, the newsletter or to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, Terry Pierce. Uh, there's quite a few Terry Pierces on LinkedIn, but if you if you put in Terry Pierce uh, and Untold Play or Terry Pierce and Gaming, then I'll come up. That's the great thing about having the unusual name. There's only really me on LinkedIn. So. <laughs> no worries. Oh, Terry, I have really enjoyed it. And I, I, in a way, I think it's a shame that we left it so long. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but, not, but not too long till the next one. It won't be very long till the next one. <laughs> Cheers, Sheridan. Okay, see you next time. <laughs>